Feeding the monkey is the way we refer to those random ADHD thoughts that take over your mind when you're supposed to be paying attention to something important. Hello, and welcome to Feeding the Monkey, Volume 15. 15, can you believe that? That's three and a half months of monkey. Wow. Um, So last week we reviewed the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle, um, and it's not aliens. We also talked about the cost of natural organic foods. Um, So friends and I were talking about uh, what organic is. How can one trust that the labels that something is organic? Uh, How can we trust that that's like actually organic? And are the FDA standards high enough? And I'm not sure exactly what the FDA standards are, so I I will find out. And again, as always, I will let you know. Um, completely unrelated in poker when you're playing Texas Hold'em poker that's the most common type you get dealt two cards the uh, cards that come down that are the community cards are called the flop turn and river and that was really sort of puzzling to me so it's just a little off a side note that has nothing to do with anything flop comes from the sound the three cards make when they hit the tab, when they hit the table, flop. The turn uh, got its name because it will turn the tide of the hand. And the river got its name because the last card can send you down the river. So if you were wondering about those poker terms, that's what they are. So it's the end of a hard year. And there has finally been a great harvest. This We're going to tell you the Thanksgiving story. And it's the end of a hard year. There's finally been a great harvest thanks to all the indigenous people of the New World helping the newly arrived settlers. They all sit down to a lovely feast made up of foods from the harvest as well as foods from the indigenous people. (laughs) All right, so apparently that is not at all the story of the first Thanksgiving. I have found several different versions of the, uh, the first Thanksgiving. None of them sound like that. But the first official listing that we have of the first Thanksgiving, um, that starts in 19, oh, excuse me, 19, 1637. So just 300 years earlier than I had you guys. Uh, 1637, the first Thanksgiving, the first proclaimed Thanksgiving. Uh, On that day, Massachusetts Colony Governor John Winthrop proclaimed a thanksgiving to celebrate the safe return of a band of heavily armed hunters. Uh, They were all colonial volunteers. And um, it was, in fact, a, a, a great day for them because they had just returned from their journey to Mystic, Connecticut, not called that at the time, that's what it's called now, um, where they had massacred 700,000 Pequot Indians. They, that, that's called the Pequot War. We'll go over it a little bit uh, further on, but that was the first Thanksgiving. And John Winthrop put forth the proclamation, This day forth shall be a day of celebration in Thanksgiving for subduing the Pequots. So what the heck? The West India Company originally sent people over to a, an area that they called New Amsterdam. It was uh, 
provided that in case there should be any Indians living on the aforementioned or claiming any title to it, as also to other places that might serve our purpose, they must not be expelled with violence or threat, but be persuaded with kind words or otherwise should be given something for it to placate them or be allowed to live amongst us. And a contract should be made up of such an agreement to be signed by them in their manner, which kind of contract may be very serviceable to the company on other occasions. So the, uh, the translation of that is, the West India Company said, we're not allowed to, don't you kill the Indians? And, and we're just using the term Indians because that is um, the term that they used at the time. Obviously, I'm referring to Native Americans. But basically, they said, if there are any Native Americans living there, you're not allowed to kill them. You're not allowed to throw them off buy it from them, or make arrangements for them to live with you. Uh, so Peter Minuet, he was the first, the first general director, dam, director of New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam was founded by the Dutch on the island of Hills, which was called by the Wampacog. I'm probably really massacring these names. I apologize. Uh, they were called, it was called Manhattan or Manhattan. I'm guessing you can guess where New Amsterdam was on the island of Manhattan. Correct. It was occupied by, in the north, by a tribe of Indians. Uh, there is a I am really sorry. If you belong to one of these tribes, I am really, really sorry. Um, I need to buy a valve. Uh, a vowel. It was occupied in the north by a tribe of Indians known as the Wekagas Geeksans. The southern section was held by the Canarses, many of whom lived in easy rowing distance across the river on another island called Brooklyn. No physical boundaries separated the tribes. Um, they had no concept of fences or real property. It was common for them to grant permission to other for other tribes to hunt and fish near them. So if you were at a place and nobody was there, you would hunt and fish. If another tribe showed up uh, and said, hey, do you mind? The, generally speaking, the first tribe would go, yeah, sure, whatever. That was, that was how it happened. They didn't have any sense of, they didn't, the earth doesn't belong to them in their in their uh, governmental philosophy. So, Minuit, we're going to. What he did was he purchased the land from the Canarses, but of course the Canarses didn't think that they owned the land. Uh, but Peter Minuet apparently felt like they owed the land, and most likely the most uh, the most reasonable explanation is that the Canarsis thought that they were renting him the land for the price of 60 guilders. Um, a lot of people like to say they bought Manhattan for 25 bucks. That's not really accurate. Um, first off, 60 guilders today is $33.52. But more importantly, uh, 60 guilders was more like $2,000 in the currency of the time. That's that's about what it would purchase was $2,000 worth of, of stuff, not $33.52. Um, in 1626, the Susquehannock attempted to establish trade with the Dutch. Remember, the Dutch are the ones who were living on the city of Hills in Manahata. Uh, 
the Algonquin-speaking tribes of the Delaware Valley objected, however, and so they worked very difficult to stop the trade. In 1728, uh, Reverend Jonas Michaelius wrote, as to the natives of this country, I find them entirely savage and wild, strangers to all decency, yea, uncivil and stupid as garden stakes. Can you believe this guy? Proficient in all wickedness and ungodliness, devilish men who serve nobody but the devil, that is, the spirit which in their language they call Mineto, under which title they comprehend everything that is subtle and crafty and beyond human skill and power. And this guy is the is a prominent resident of New Amsterdam. So that's 1728, still before uh, it's a country. So back to uh, the 1600s. In 1637, the Merrick... Merrick Sackums, Sesses and Numers, sold land at Hell's Gate to the Dutch. Again, probably thought they were lending it to them, probably or renting it, probably did not think they were actually selling it. In 1639, Metro Wootst, the Truff Sackum of the Massapaqua, placed the entire west half of Long Island under Dutch protection. And in 1643, the Rockaway and the Merrick sold much of their traditional homeland near Hempstead to the Dutch. So, going back to 1637, because that is, of course, when the first uh, Thanksgiving Day was proclaimed and we opened up our story with 1637 and the Pequots. Uh, 1637, what in the world was that all about? Okay, we're going to start again. We're going to have to go back in history again. 1634. Captain John Stone was killed by the Niantics, a tributary tribe of the Pequots. The circumstances of how this attack occurred were unclear, but at the end of it, a white man was dead at the hand of the Native Americans, specifically a tribe of the Pequots. On 23 October 1634, the Pequots sent messengers bearing gifts and promises of tribute to Roger Ludlow, who was the deputy governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony at that time. On November 7, 1634, there was a second Pequot embassy, Massachusetts Bay Pequot Treaty, uh, Pequot negotiators agreed to hand over to hand over Stone's murderers. So we're still worrying about Captain Stone. Uh, agreed to hand him over to pay indemnity of 250 pounds sterling in wampum to cede Connecticut lands to trade with the English to have disputes with the Narragansetts mediated by the English. The Pequot Council does not ratify the, the treaty, objecting to the indemnity and arguing that Stone's murderers were all either dead or beyond their reach. So um, the negotiators agreed that they were going to have this this consequence for the death of this um, of this white man and then the leaders did not uh, agree to ratify it so the treaty didn't happen 
On the 16th of June in 1636, so two two years later, Jonathan Brewer, Brewster, a trader from Plymouth, conveys a message from Uncas, chief of the Mohegans, that the Pequots plan a preemptive strike against the English. So he kind of gives them a warning that the Pequots are planning a are planning an attack. In July of 1636. There was a conference at Fort Saybrook of Connecticut and Massachusetts Bay officials uh, with representatives of the Western, Western Niantics and the Pequots. English colonists reassert demands of the 1634 Treaty. That was the one that was not ratified by the Pequot leaders. John Oldham and his crew were killed by either the Narragansetts or a subject tribe off Block Island. Narragansetts Sackham's Kenanchet and Miantonomo condemn the murder and offer reparations. Miantonomo leads a party to Block Island to exact vengeance. Kenanchet and Miantonomo promise not to ally themselves with the Pequots if there is any dispute between the English and the Pequots. 25th of October, 1636, Captain John Endicott... John Underhill and William Turner went to Block Island. They went with 90 men to apprehend the killers of Stone and Oldham. So we're still worrying about Captain Stone, and now we've also got Captain Oldham on our on our side now, on our minds, and to seek reparations or plunder. However, most of the block most of the population of Block Island has left, and there isn't very much there to plunder. Under the leadership of Captain John Mason from Connecticut and Captain John Underhill from Massachusetts Bay Colony, English Puritan troops, with the help of Mohegan and Narragansett allies, uh, burned the Pequot village and killed the estimated 400 to 700 Pequots residing therein. Uh, This was not a great and fantastic victory. This was a lot of women and children in addition to uh, men. And that was the Pequot War in its entirety. And it really turned the tide towards the colonists by uh, by eliminating the Pequot threat, but also by showing that they could not be defeated. Uh, the colonists could not be very easily defeated. So what about that crazy pretty story that we started out with where... Uh, where Squanto and his and he speaking his brilliant fluent English comes and Pocahontas is there and they all share pumpkins and squash and and corn. So where did that story come from? The beginning of an official Thanksgiving Day, as in one under the United States, that happened uh, under Abraham Lincoln in 1863 uh, during the very height of the Civil War. Uh, in a proclamation, he entreated all Americans to ask God to commend to his, this is a quote to commend to His tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in this lamentable strife, and to heal the wounds of the nature. Of this nature. Um, ah, to heal the wounds of the nation. Oh my gosh. Okay. So he scheduled Thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November. 
so the fourth Thursday in November. It was celebrated on that day every year until 1939, at which point Franklin Delano Roosevelt moved the holiday up a week to the third Thanksgiving in November in an attempt to spur retail sales during the Great Depression. So, you know, whenever you hear folks going on and on about, oh, Christmas is so commercialized, and oh, they got the merchandise out so early, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 1939, it was already a thing. Um, Roosevelt's plan, (laughs) they called it Franksgiving, because it was so cynical, uh, was met with passionate opposition. And in 1941, the president signed a bill again, somewhat reluctantly, uh, making Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday in November. Um, So the account that you hear, the Happy Pretty account, is from a textbook called The American Tradition. This was a high school textbook in the 50s. Um, And here's what it says. After some exploring, the pilgrims chose the land around Plymouth Harbor for their settlement. Unfortunately, they had arrived in December and were not prepared for the New England winter. However, they were aided by friendly Indians who gave them food and showed them how to grow corn. When the warm weather came, the colonists planted, fished, hunted, and prepared themselves for the next winter. After harvesting their first crop, they and their Indian friends celebrated the first Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Um, Also, as an aside, um, there there's a couple few caveats. One is that Eastern um, Native Americans had observed an autumnal harvest celebration for literally centuries. Um, many cultures observe these autumnal harvest celebrations, but they called the moon the harvest moon, and um, you know. A, just everywhere you look around the world, it's a natural thing because the, the harvest has come in, the weather's starting to get cold, it's a very natural thing. We're going to go ahead, we're going to give thanks for the harvest, we're going to uh, uh, pray to our various deities that they watch out for us throughout the winter so that we will come out in the spring brand new, happy, and carefree. So that so that's the first thing, is that it was not really the first Thanksgiving, even in 1637, because they've been doing that a long time. Um, although George Washington did set aside days for National Thanksgiving, um, he would give several days during a year, and they were not uh, any kind of a, of a holiday, really. They were set aside days, okay, let's give thanks, here in April. Um, the modern celebration really dates back to 1863. And what happened was that during the Civil War, when the, when the Union needed all the patriotism that such an observation might muster, that was why Abraham Lincoln proclaimed Thanksgiving a national holiday. Um, also, the Pilgrims had nothing to do with it. Not even until the 1890s did they even appear in the tradition. And for that matter, no one used the term pilgrim before 1870. So there you are, the first Thanksgiving. Take it or leave it. Okay, part two uh, today. A... 
everybody and the mother has a turkey recipe, right? So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at some historical recipes and we're going to choose some of the best recipes that are out there uh, according to my highly scientific method, which is, oh hey, this looks like it probably tastes pretty good. So what do we got here? 1594. 1594, The Good Wives, A Handmade for the Kitchen. The Good Wives, The Good Housewives, A Handmade for the Kitchen. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to have to um, interpret this as best I can. You can find the, the uh, actual text, as always, in the show notes at feedingthemonkey.com slash show notes. Um, that's where you'll find all of my information, and that's where these recipes are written down. All of them are written down in their entirety, with the exception of the ingredients list, because I didn't put them there, but I can add them on. All right. Number one, 1594. That's a long time ago. To bake a turkey, take and clean your turkey on the back and bruise all the bones. I don't, I have no idea what that means. Pound it? I don't know. Then season it with salt and pepper gross beaten and put into it a good store of butter. He must have five hours baking. So he's been beaten up, he's been salt and peppered. Um, I have no idea what a gross beaten is. And then he's had a lot of butter added. And then uh, he's baked for five hours. That sounds like a really uh, dry turkey to me. But there's no temperatures written here, so maybe it's not. Who knows? 1857. New Mrs. Hale's new cookbook to roast a turkey from Mrs. Hale's new cookbook by Mrs. Sarah J. Hale out of Philadelphia, published by T.B. Peterson and Brothers in 1857. So thank you, Mrs. Sarah Hale, for this. Prepare a stuffing of pork sausage meat, one beaten egg, and a few crumbs of bread, or... If sausages are to be served with the turkey, stuffing as for a fillet of veal. In either, a little shred shallot is an improvement. Alrighty, so we're going to mix in sausage, egg, bread, and possibly a little shallot, which is kind of like a garlic. Stuff the bird under the breast, dredge it with flour, and put it down to a clear, brisk fire at a moderate distance the first half hour, but afterwards nearer. Baste with butter, and when the turkey is plumped up and the steam draws toward the fire, it will be nearly done. Then dredge it lightly with flour again, so we're going to, we'd flee floured it. We put it at a high, hot fire really close, and then we pulled it back so that it would cook more low and slow. Um, then we basted it with butter, and then we put more flour on it, and we baste, basted it with a little more butter. First melted in the basting ladle, so you're going to take your butter, and you're going to melt it in the ladle, and then you pour it over your turkey. You're going to serve that with the gravy in the dish and bread sauce in a tureen. It may be garnished with sausages or with fried 
forcemeat if veal stuffing be used. Sometimes the gizzard and liver are dipped into a yolk of an egg sprinkled with salt and cayenne and then put under the pinions, which are the, the little things under the wings, uh, before the bird is put to the fire. Chestnuts stewed in gravy are likewise eaten with turkey. A very large turkey will require three hours roasting, one of eight or ten pounds two hours, and a small one an hour and a half. So from that we also get the knowledge that a very large turkey is at this point considered over 10 pounds. Um, whereas the smallest turkey that I was able to find this year was 13 and that was a small turkey. So there's an example of how uh, proportions have changed since the 1800s. What do we have next? Yeah, that's a, huh, a very large turkey. I wonder how much that I wonder how much that is. Probably was like 14 pounds at that time. Oh, 1989. Julia Child. Um, I can't resist this. I have to read the entire Julia Child recipe. If you want to know why you're while your grandmother and your mother were so distraught every year about having to cook the turkey and, and were all very much tense and on edge about it, it's because since about the mid-1960s, Julia Child was the pinnacle. She was the celebrity chef. And when Julia Child told you how to cook something, that was how you did it. And this, my friends, is not easy. Anything that involves the uh, the instruction, <laughs> reassemble the turkey. Uh, yeah, so just going to serve ten to twelve people. This recipe calls for a natural, unenhanced turkey. Requires brining the turkey breast in the refrigerator for 6 to 12 hours. If you're using a self-basting turkey, such as a frozen butterball or a kosher turkey, do not brine in step 3. Omit the salt in step 2. Remove any large pockets of fat from the neck cavity of the bird to ensure that the stuffing doesn't become greasy. The bottom of your roasting pan should be 7 to 8 inches from the top of the oven. In this recipe, we leave the stuffing in a warm oven while the turkey rests. If you need your oven during this time, you may opt to leave the stirred stuffing in the uncovered roasting pan at room temperature while the turkey rests, then reheat it in a 400-degree oven for 10 minutes before reassembling your turkey. <laughs> so, here we go. So, you may have to ask yourself right now, huh, reassemble the turkey. Why, what happened to it in the first place? Well, the first place, what happened to it was we cut it into pieces. With the turkey breast side up, using boning or paring knife, you're going to cut through the skin around the leg quarter where it attaches to the leg, to the breast. Um, I'm almost positive that I've seen some of this in, uh, in horror movies. Bend the leg back to pop the leg bone out of the socket. Cut through the joint to separate the leg quarter. Repeat to remove the second leg quarter. Working with one leg quarter at a time and with the skin side down, use the tip of the knife to cut along the sides of the thigh bone to expose the bone. Then slide 
knife under the bone to free the meat without severing the skin. Cut the joint between the leg and thigh and remove the thigh bone. So now basically what have you got? You've got a boneless turkey thigh, right? For each side. Rub the interior of each thigh with a half a teaspoon of sage, a half a teaspoon of salt, and a quarter teaspoon of pepper. Roughly. No, not roughly. It's strangely specific. Uh, You're going to truss each thigh closed using wooden skewers and kitchen twine. Then you're going to place them on a plate. You're going to cover them. You're going to put them in the refrigerator 6 to 12 hours. Next, using kitchen shears. So now your your turkey has no legs. Uh, Next, using kitchen shears, cut through the ribs following the vertical line of fat where the breast meets the back from the tapered end of the breast to the wing joint. Using your hands, you're going to bend that back away from the breast to pop the shoulder joint out of socket. You're going to cut through that joint between the bones and separate the back from the breast. You're going to reserve the back for gravy. Trim the excess fat from the breast. Dissolve three-quarters cup salt in six quarts cold water in a large container. Submerge the breast in the brine, cover, and refrigerate for 12 hours, unless you may recall it is a pre-brined or a kosher turkey, at which point we don't do that. Now, we're going to adjust the oven racks to upper middle and lower middle positions and heat the oven to 300 degrees. Spread breadcrumbs in an even layer on two rimmed baking sheets and bake until mostly dry and very lightly browned, 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to stir occasionally during baking. We're going to transfer this dried bread to a large bowl and increase the oven temperature to 425 degrees. While the bread dries, so meanwhile... While the bread dries, remove the breast from the brine, pat dry with paper towels. Going to leave the loaves leg quarters in the refrigerator. Tuck the wings behind the back. Brush surface with two teaspoons of oil. Melt butter in a 12-inch non-stick oven-safe skillet. And we're going to care about that in a little while that it's oven-safe over medium heat. Add onions and cook, stirring occasionally until softened. 10 to 12 minutes, the butter is not what's softened. The onions there are what's softened. Add celery, two tablespoons of sage, one and a half teaspoons of pepper. Continue to cook until the celery is slightly softened three to five minutes longer. Now we're going to take those vegetables and we're going to dump them out into the bread, wipe out the skillet with the paper towels. We are going to now place the turkey breast skin side down in the skillet, stick it in the oven, and roast for 30 minutes. While the, while the breast is roasting, so remember we went from the bread to the chicken, now we're going to put them to the turkey. Now we're going to put the turkey in the oven, we're going to go back to the bread. While the breast roasts, add cranberries and eggs to the bread mixture and toss to combine, it will be dry. Transfer the stuffing to a 13 by 16 by 13 inch roasting pan and using a rubber spatula, pat the stuffing into a level 12 by 10 inch rectangle. Now we're going to remove the breast from the oven and using two wads of paper towels, we're going to flip the breast and place over two thirds of the stuffing. We're going to now arrange the leg quarters over the remaining stuffing and brush with the remaining one teaspoon of oil. We're going to lightly season the breast and the leg quarters with salt. Now we're going to tuck any large sections of exposed stuffing 
under the bird, so most of the stuffing is covered by the turkey. Now we're going to transfer the pan to the oven and cook for another 30 minutes. We're now 30 minutes have passed by. We had no more bread to mess with. We just looked at each other and twiddled our thumbs. Reduce the oven temperature back down to 350 from 425. We're going to continue to roast until the thickest part of the breast registers 160 to 165, and the thickest part of the thigh registers 175 to 180, 40 minutes to 1 hour 20 minutes uh, longer, roughly 40 minutes to 1 hour 20 minutes longer. Transfer the breast and leg quarters to the cutting board and let rest for 30 minutes. Now while the turkey is resting, using a metal spatula, stir the stuffing well, scraping up any browned bits. Redistribute the stuffing over the bottom of the roasting pan, return it to the oven, turn off the oven. Before serving, we are going to season the stuffing with salt and prepper to taste. We're going to now mound the stuffing in the center of the platter. We're going to place the breast on top of the stuffing with the point of the breast resting on the highest part of the mound. So the back is gone. This is really just the, the turkey breast, which is actually the bottom of the turkey, but what you're used to seeing in photographs it is at the top of the turkey. We're going to uh, place the breast up there. And then the new, the, the new boneless thighs have been replaced in their appropriate locations. Remove the skewers and the twine from the leg quarters. Place them on each side of the breast. Carve and serve. Now you know why your grandmother and your mother were in such a tizzy about cooking the turkey. And if you hear jingling, that is the prerequisite happens every week cat fight. We're going to ignore the cat fight though. Okay, so let's go to 2011. Uh, let's, let's leave 1960 and its horrific Franken-Turkey behind. And let's go to 2011. We're going to Alton Brown. Now, Alton Brown, Alton Brown's method of the turkey roasting is the one that we generally use at my house. It works well. It leaves. It makes a very delicious moist turkey. However, instead of uh, cooking it in the oven, we cook ours on a uh, big green egg. I guess I can. I, they're not a sponsor or anything. Nobody's the sponsor. I'm trying really hard to get a sponsor though. And uh, if you guys wanted to help, make sure you forward this along to your friends. More about forwarding and likes later. Anyway, we do this on a big green egg instead of in an oven if you're if you're looking for different ways to do stuff. So Alt Brown, the night before you'd like to eat, we're gonna truss the legs with of the turkey with kitchen twine. We're gonna combine brine, water, and ice in a five-gallon bucket. Place the thawed turkey breast side down in the brine. Make sure it doesn't have any innards. If uh, necessary, weigh it down, cover it. Um, refrigerate or place everything in a cooler and turn the bird uh, once halfway through brining. And we use, we've got a, a, a large, one of those beverage coolers, the round ones, you know, on wheels. And we just haul ours out. We're in New Hampshire. And so it's, it's nice and chilly in, at the end of November outside. So we just take it, we haul it out into, into uh, outside in its uh, fancy cooler. 
On the day of the roasting, so that was the night before, that day, heat the oven to 500 degrees Fahrenheit. We're going to remove the bird, rinse it out, put it on a roasting rack, and pat it dry with paper towels. Rub with uh, canola oil, and roast the bird on the close to the fire for 30 minutes. While the bird is cooking, we're going to fold and shape a double thickness of aluminum foil to create a breastplate. After 30 minutes, uh, decrease the oven temperature to 350. Put the probe thermometer in the thickest part of the breast. Cook until it reaches 155. Uh, use the breastplate at any point should the bird start to become too brown. Rest the bird covered lightly with aluminum foil 15 to 30 minutes. Carve and serve. As you can tell, much easier. No shears. No popping of leg leg joints, no boning, just turkey in the oven, brined. Um, my favorite celebrity chef is Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay, uh, his version of a turkey, again from 2011, uh, is from the UK. And so it has uh, words that we're not used to, but uh, I'm going to read it to you the way he's got it. Preheat the oven to 220 degrees Celsius, gas 7. Prepare the herb butter, put it in a large bowl, season it with salt and pepper, add olive oil and mix well. Add lemon zest and juice, crushed garlic, chopped parsley, mix well. Take the giblets out of the turkey cavity, season it with salt and pepper, stuff with onions, lemon, garlic halves, two bay leaves. Um, if you split your bay leaves in half, uh, it, it will uh, it sort of activates them. It kind of releases the oil, so I always split mine in half. I just chop them in half, ching, ching, with my fingers. Uh, with your hands, loosen the skin on the breast from both ends of the bird. That way you'll be able to stuff flavored butter underneath it. Uh, you want to make sure you keep the skin intact, so we're just going to repeat that again with the skin on the legs. So now we've got turkey breast with butter under the skin, and inside is onions and lemons and deliciousness. So um, you're going to massage it around and then put the bay leaves under the skin. Put the bird in a roasting tray breast side up. Uh, spread the rest of the butter all over the skin. Season with salt and pepper. Drizzle it with a little olive oil. Roast it in a hot oven for 10 to 15 minutes. Take the tray out of the oven, baste the bird with the pan juices, lay bacon over the breast to keep it moist. Do you not love Gordon Ramsay as much as I do now? We've got the bacon on the turkey. <laughs> baste again. Lower the setting to 180 degrees centigrade gas four. Cook for about two and a half hours, calculating at 30 minutes per kilogram, basting occasionally. To test whether it's cooked, insert a skewer. Check that the juices are running clear. As oven temperatures, turkey sizes vary. It's crucial to check the turkey about 30 minutes before the roast, calculated roasting time. If the juices are pink, roast for another 15 minutes and check again. Uh, repeat as necessary until the turkey is cooked. Now you're going to... <laughs> Sorry, I read this and somehow I totally missed this. Transfer the turkey to a warm platter. Remove the parson's nose. Ooh, I don't know when he arrived, but cut off his nose. Wings and tips of the drumsticks. Reserve these for the gravy. Leave the turkey to rest 45 minutes. Make the gravy. Remove the bay leaves. Serve the turkey with the gravy. Yummy, yummy. Uh, what is gas 7 and gas 4? Uh, gas 7 is 425 degrees Fahrenheit. 
um, and gas four is 350 degrees Fahrenheit. So these are exactly the same temperatures as Julia Child was using in the 60s, starting at 425 and then taking it down to 350. Um, all these uh, recipes and things are on the website at feedingthemonkey.com in the show notes. And that is how to cook a Thanksgiving turkey based on several people's opinions. Next week on Feeding the Monkey, we're going to look at gravitational mass cons. Those are the uh, the weird little places where gravity was uh, more intense than it is in other places that we discussed last week with the Bermuda Triangle. Gravitational mass cons and other superstitions um, like vampires. Why why uh, you want to throw salt over your shoulder. Uh, other things that you may not have known were part of those um, were part of those legends and just kind of fell by the wayside. I'll give you a hint. Vampires have OCD. So Nato update. Nato update. Whoop 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 the Nato. Uh, monkey doesn't have to eat the Nato yet. Natto is the uh, most disgusting, I, I mean, the Japanese delicacy superfood. If I get 500 likes on the Facebook page, Feeding the Monkey um, on Facebook, I will make a video of myself eating natto, possibly the grossest thing that ever existed on the face of planet Earth. So I've only got 115 likes so far. I checked it out. Make sure that you pump it up to your friends and your and your colleagues and whatnot. If you're enjoying the show, pretty please give me a like on Facebook. And make sure that you share and forward to your friends. Um, I can also be, uh, if you have a, a question that you would like answered on uh, Feeding the Monkey, something that's bothered you, but you weren't sure where to begin to check it out, um, you can leave me a message on the, on the Facebook page, Feeding the Monkey. You can drop me an email at monkey at feedingthemonkey.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, monkey at feedingthemonkey, all one word, dot com. Also, um, there is a website, feedingthemonkey.com, where you can see the natto in all its glory. There are ADHD links there discussing um, various forms of adult attention deficit disorder. That is, of course, the purpose of the monkey is to feed my inner monkey so that uh, the rest of me can go about having a semi-normal existence as much as that may be. As much as, as that may be an unattainable state, at least it won't be because I'm so distracted. So you can read about that there. Um, show notes are always posted on feedingthemonkey.com. There's a tab there marked show notes. And again, I can't thank you enough for listening. I appreciate each and every listen. I appreciate each and every comment. 
and question if there is anything that you need me to look up that you're just dying to know, make sure you ask me. And until next week, as always, I leave you with some upbeat background music.